Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Let's begin our nighttime relaxation. You've never felt more. <coughs> Feel your eyelids getting. <coughs> now let yourself lay back and get a good night of... <coughs> when cold and flu symptoms won't let you sleep, ask for Night Nurse. Its unbeatable strength helps put cold and flu to bed. Only available at the pharmacy counter. For cold and flu relief, visit dayandnightnurse.co.uk slash verify for verification. Always read the label. Toby Karamatang is a theater, festivals, and live performance producer who focuses on carving out space for young black people in theater. After seeing her first West End show, Wicked, she says she was in awe, but having not seen any black people on the stage, didn't walk away feeling like she belonged there. She's since used her life experience and her passion for the arts to show young black people that their stories and their talents do belong in spaces like the West End, even when they're not readily represented there. When I asked her what she most wants people to take away from our conversation, she said this, Sooner or later, we'll come to realize that nothing really matters besides the way we feel about ourselves. At the end of it all, everything we do, everything we take in that nourishes us, and everything we stand for has to result in us being truly happy. Toby and I caught up at Huckletree's bustling new workspace in West London, and so at times you'll hear entrepreneurs hustling in the background. I'm Josh Rivers, and I'm busy being black with Toby Karamatang. When I talk about myself, I guess I'll say I'm a black queer woman. Mm. Um, it took me a long time to get to that point. Um, and it is still something that I'm, I'm still trying to figure out in my head exactly like what that means to me or, or why I say that as opposed to just like a black woman mm. or anything else. And why all of those different bits are important. Um, but I think that's where I am. That's where I'm at at the moment, and quite happy to be there. Mm. I feel like, yeah, because it's taken a long time, and and I guess because for a long time I felt quite alone in that sphere. Like I didn't really know anyone else that was kind of outright about that or like things like that. And so it just, I, I guess, for a long time it didn't feel relevant to say. Um, or you know, I would identify by like where I lived or being like I'm a South Londoner or like things like that like yeah there were like other things that I would talk about before I even got to things that was personal to me or truly personal to me um but yeah I feel like that's where I'm kind of staying at the moment so what does it mean for you now in this moment black queer woman I feel like I feel like now there's a sense of community for me like there's a sense of um understanding that I belong to lots of different groups and that's okay um and trying to find my place in lots of those different groups and not feeling like I have to chop myself up into little bits and separate myself and be like okay now I'm gonna be black and now I'm gonna be a woman and now I'm gonna do this and now I'm gonna do that but actually I encompass all of those things and I'm able to inhabit all of those spaces all at once mm-hmm. and and that's fine and that's the strength and I don't need to I don't actually need to carve myself up and I can recognise that a lot of those things shape my experiences shape the things that I'm interested about shape the p- 
people that I know and just the way that I navigate my life and my day to day. Um, and I shouldn't have to water any of those things down in order to, I don't know, feel like I need to fit in somewhere or belong somewhere and just walk into that space and be like, boom, this is it. <laughs> and, and, and be able to be comfortable with that. I love that. You know, one of the kind of like awakenings I've had recently is, is coming back into my blackness where mm. it's always been challenged. And um, I was in conversation with someone and I was like, ah, me being a black gay man or a queer person of color mm. just expands blackness. Mm. Yeah. Right? And yeah, I find yeah. that to be so empowering. Mm. And so I, I guess I hear that when I hear you say that you don't need to cut yourself up into little pieces. Yeah. I can't. It's tiring as well. Like, it's really tiring to decide that this is a version of me I'm going to be today or this is a thing that I'm going to focus on today when it's not like that and mm. it can't be like that and I wouldn't want it to be like that anyway. Do you find any refuge in terms like intersectionality? Do you... Is it something that you find comforting or I don't want to put words in your mouth? Yeah. I think, I think it is for me. I think when... I was kind of discovering more about like blackness, about being a black woman specifically, about womanism or feminism, whatever you want to call it, all of that kind of stuff. It was it was a bit like I had to chop myself up into little bits to look at these things um, because they were kind of dominated by one group or one section of my identity that, and the rest of it was just kind of left right. floating. And so... But I didn't have the language to articulate why that wasn't okay or what needed to happen for all of those things to align. So it was just sort of like, oh, where do I, what do I do? Like, where do I go? Um, and like language is really important to me and, and just, yeah, having the words to be able to articulate yourself as well as you want to or to be to be able to express exactly what you mean. Mm -hmm. And I was so frustrated because I just didn't have, I didn't know what intersectionality was, that like it wasn't a word that was in my brain. So I was just like, no, I'm all of these things, but I don't know how to say that in one word. Um, and so when I was, yeah, when I was kind of doing a lot of research and, and talking to a lot of people and that word kept coming up and I was sort of like, what is that? Um, and then kind of finding out what it means, I was just sort of like, oh, okay, this is the thing that I've been trying to like say for so long. Yes. I just didn't have the language to say. Um, and it's just helped me so much when talking to people and when they do want to kind of steer you into one box, being like, ah, no, you can't do that because it doesn't work like that. Yes. Um, and being able to perfectly articulate why that is and what that means has just helped me so much have a lot of annoying conversations with people <laughs> language shapes our reality yeah 100 percent. talk to me about um I, I want to talk about the work that you do mm. um which is um a lot <laughs> <laughs> so i discovered you on twitter yeah um so we'll start there great <laughs> because i felt like i was just obviously my relationship to social media has changed a great deal mm. And I was just reading your tweets and laughing to myself and going, <laughs> go on, Toby. And just like, you know, cheering from my phone. <laughs> and so, and I guess it resonates with me because I'm still trying to refine my voice again. Mm. Um, and so that's not really a question, but um, yeah. Yeah. I think social media has been um, quite a big part of my finding my voice, that kind of journey. Um, in, I'm quite naturally a very quiet person, especially when I was a lot younger, I was very silent, very reclusive, kept to myself a lot, didn't really have a lot of communities or friends or people that I could go to. Um, so I felt I was alone a lot, and I think social media gave me a platform, I guess, to kind of not necessarily be a different version of myself, but be the version that I would want to be if I felt able to do right. that in a physical space and to say the things that I'd want to say and to talk to people I'd want to talk to people I'd want to talk to like in uh, in a physical space and like there's a lot of people that I spoke to on social media that I went to school with and they didn't realize we went to the same school right. until I was like yeah I'm in your year and they were like oh what you should like say hi like it was and that thing was like really weird in terms of 
especially in school where there's a lot of ego and hormones and hierarchy and everyone's just trying to survive basically yeah. and um and so you wouldn't necessarily mix with certain people unless you were in a certain kind of hierarchy of that and so there were people that I was speaking to that I know wouldn't necessarily come up to me and talk to me at school um until we were just having a normal conversation on social media where you're not in that space so there mm-hmm. isn't that kind of added pressure of having to do this or be this heightened person of yourself because otherwise shit's gonna go down yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or some some stuff like that and so it it helps me a lot also just like growing confidence in myself in my voice and the things that I believed in and wanted to say being able to write stuff particularly was the other way that I communicated because I wasn't going to speak um, and so like, I used to write it's really embarrassing but when Bebo existed I had a story it was terrible it was terrible <laughs> but I wrote the story but so many people read it and were just like this is so great what's the, like, the next chapter and stuff like that and it was just like cool to have that mm. and to see that and then I guess Twitter's where that really escalated uh, in terms of the things I was talking about and I think a lot of those things changed over time in terms of what my focus was but it was always very much about how shit the world was (laughs) and like what I thought people should be doing which isn't like which was always open to conversation and it was always open to I really enjoyed other perspectives as well and being a part of a group conversation because I feel often I didn't feel like I was able to be a part of conversations with other people. Mm. Um, and even if I was talking to myself, you know, I did like other people being able to respond and be like, yeah, or be yeah. like, actually, no. Obviously not everyone, because you get people that are just really mean. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, how do you maintain your sanity on platforms like Twitter? Oh, God. Um... I'm very ruthless with the block button. And not in a way that's sort of like, I disagree with that, so I'm going to block you. Like, that's, like, it doesn't... Things like that don't move me. But I guess when I feel like things are taking up energy Mm. and time and just, like, unnecessary labour that I don't have to do, um, I'll just ignore it or I'll just leave it. Or And so I'm very... I know a lot of people are quite sort of, like, you let people get to you if you, like, block them and blah, 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 and I don't... I don't really care about that. Like, it's very much mm-hmm. a sort of, I don't need to have this. Like, that's right. On social media, I have a choice whether I want to see that or not, and I don't want to see it. So, <laughs> so I'm not gonna. I'm gonna choose not to see it as much as I can. Um, there are some things that do slide. There are some conversations I get dragged into that I'm just like, ah, oh, that. Uh. But on a whole, I'm like, I'm very ruthless with stuff like that because I do believe that especially with like emotional labour as well, which is what you find a lot of people on Twitter doing. There's a lot of explaining your experiences or justifying things or debating your life mm. and who you are. And it's just, it's stressful. It's so stressful. And I did a lot of that when I joined, a lot of that. And those conversations just weren't healthy. It's so time consuming as mm. well. Because I've what I've learned about social media is that a, a conversation to understand and a conversation to convince yes vastly different results oh yeah and so part of this kind of curating who we follow and Mm. what lists we create and is about conversations to understand Mm. right so we can bump into things that we don't comprehend as fully as we could definitely you said energy and my insides lit up Mm. um we obviously expend a lot of our energy throughout the course of the day (laughs) <laughs> Josh the science guy um, <laughs> how do you um, re-energize yourself mm-hmm. I actually struggled with that for a long time like really? I struggled to like look after myself properly felt like I was always like giving out giving out giving out giving out then I have like a little bit of time for myself um, and it's only probably in the past year or so I would say that I've properly reinstated things that energize myself um but also just energy in terms of the things that I'm consuming on a daily basis and the things around me and the things I listen to or things like that just the things that my body is consuming constantly and a lot of that isn't my fault 
the things that I can't control, the things that I hear walking down the street, for example. Um, but I started to implement a routine, I'm very into like routines, um, especially when I got home from work, so especially at the end of the day. Because I feel, I feel like that's where I needed to start because I, I think my days kind of all blurred into one long day at right. some point. Like I just wasn't letting things drop and then picking them back up the next day. I was just constantly on the go. Um, and it was tiring and so like emotionally battering. So take me through that end of work process. So when I come home from work, my main thing is emails. I can't, I just, I have to make sure that I'm not responding to anything unless it's life or death. Right. I'm always like, this email will be here tomorrow morning. No one's going to die if, if, I, if I don't answer it right now. It's not important. I'm not at my desk. Yeah. I'm, I'm in my house. So making sure that I just disconnect from all of that work stuff. Just try and disconnect as much as possible. And then I always will have a hot bath or a hot shower and some tea. I'm really into my teas, especially herbal teas. Okay. So I might pick a tea that I'm feeling, that kind of goes with how I'm feeling that day. Um, and either like a candle or some incense, again, depending on how I feel that day, what I feel like is best for me. Just have a wind down and just spend quite a couple of hours winding down before I have to go to bed because I can't just switch up and be like, okay, I'm going to go to sleep now because my brain is still like buzzing with everything that's happened in my day, whether it's work-related or I've had a conversation with someone that's been difficult or some person's popped up or someone bumped into me in the street and I found it annoying. Just spend, like, the last few hours really winding down and just kind of being present in my house or in my room, Mm. being like, okay, cool. That was my day. All of this stuff has happened. Tomorrow's a new day. Um, And I need to prepare myself for that new day and trying to clear my head of as much things as possible. If I need to write that out, Mm. if I need to talk to someone, if I need to do a thread on Twitter, whatever that way is, just try to clear as many things as possible. Kind of like a detox, I guess. A bit like a detox. Um, And then hopefully go to sleep. Sometimes I have weird dreams because of it, though, because it's quite reflective as well. Right. and so sometimes I'll have like really vivid dreams about something or someone. It tends to be about people, um, which is okay. And I try to write them down in the morning before I forget them. Um, but because it's like a kind of reflective detox, there are lo- like lots of things that kind of come out. And I just I give myself permission for all of those things to happen as well. Give yourself permission. Oh, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the hardest thing to <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my brain was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's taken a long time to get to that point where I'm able to do that and be comfortable with it. Though. Like, there's some things that I just dwell on for mm. so long because I feel like I have to dwell on it or I'm always like why has this thing happened what does this mean like I, I can't shut down until I figure it out <laughs> whereas it might take a year to figure that thing out and that's just how long it needs to take and it's just it's you can't it's not sustainable you can't function that way so I've kind of had to be like okay Toby this is what you're allowed to do like this is fine just give yourself permission to be okay at the end of the day like yeah. you don't have to stew over stuff yeah why is that a thing that you like that you like to do? Well, or why do you feel like you have to feel that way? Yeah, I find myself admonishing myself for all sorts of things right. that, that would lead to self care, <laughs> right. right? You know, and like, do I want peppermint tea or green tea? And like, I mean, really, you can't have caffeine. It's after twelve. And like having this really kind of like vicious conversation with myself, yeah. and I'm like, oh my god, relax. It's tea. <laughs> Or like, don't fall asleep now because you won't wake up. You'll 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 wake up in the middle of the night, and it's like, if you want to sleep, go to sleep, yeah. relax. <laughs> but yeah, it's like being conscious of that. So I guess this moment after work is like a beautiful. I never crossed my mind to actually come through the door and yeah. use that moment actually, because I think that we always, or I've certainly always seen wind down as like just before bed. Yeah. So I'm, instead of like crossing the threshold of home yes. which makes way more sense actually yeah. yeah I think a lot of people I think it's like a time thing as well you thought like oh I've got no time so before I go to bed I'll spend like an hour I'll have like a bath or something and then read something and then go to sleep or whatever whereas it's sort of like 
we carry a lot of stuff with us throughout the day. When I get home, I just want to take it all off. Mm. I don't want to think about it. It's outside. It's outside of my house, and I don't want to bring that into my house because then it just hoards and it just collects in like a corner of my room until it like just spreads across the whole room over like a period of six months or something. <laughs> and I've got all of this like therapy I need to have because yeah. I've brought all of this shit with me. Whereas I just so want to be like mm. prioritizing ourselves is linked to our. Our, our self-worth yes definitely how have you learned to cultivate yours oh god have, um, you, have you always had a sense of 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 self-worth has it been something you've had to work towards um I, I've definitely had to work towards it I think it it probably started that journey probably started I'll say about four years ago three or four years ago um I think before that, and still still kind of now, but it's getting a bit better, but before that I had a huge lack of self-worth. Like I didn't, I just did not like myself at all. And so the things that I was doing, or the things that, or the people that I kind of was allowed into my life, or the people that I, or not allowed into my life, but the people that I clung on to, just weren't healthy for me. And it got to a point where I was 19 or 20. I think a lot of things, culminated at the same time and they all just all the issues in my life just kind of came together and it was like these one group of people that had been causing like three years of misery really? and I was just like fuck this shit I'm so tired of everything um and I remember very clearly that point or that night that I just spent just crying and being really upset about everything that happened in my life and being like why is this happening to me like I just want to be happy mm. I don't really want much I just want to be happy with myself mm. um, and just deciding from then on that I was going to prioritise myself more in whatever way that I could which you know what I was doing then and what I'm doing now are completely different because now I'm more reassured in who I am and, and the things that I think um, whereas back then it was just sort of like I just want to be loved <laughs> yeah. by someone because yeah. I can't love myself and and so yeah it was definitely a journey and it's taken this long to get to this point where I'm able to be like no I'm not going to do that with conviction mm. because uh, it it will have this effect on me and I don't want it to have this effect on me or this is the, th- this is the way that I'm going to handle this situation or learning to let go of things was a huge thing for me as well. Like I said, I, I used to dwell on a lot on stuff and I used to blame myself for a lot of things that I was dwelling on as well. So it would always be, what have I done for people to feel this way about me? And it was always about people. Right. It was always outwards. It was always about things that I couldn't control pretty much, but it was always people. I, I wanted people to like me or I wanted to like belong to like a community or, or something or to have those relationships and so whenever it wouldn't go as planned I'd be like oh what did I do like or what do I need to do to be that person which is so dangerous yeah singing and dancing for your supper <laughs> <laughs> for your validation god no, so babe. it was yeah. terrible and so I spent a long time doing that to the point where I was just like I don't even know what I like <laughs> or like who I am because I've spent I so long I don't know if that's a high five moment but <laughs> I know exactly what you mean yeah that I spent so long just moulding myself with every new person that I was like oh you're amazing okay cool let's like be the best of friends or whatever and mine was I'm going to mimic that yes yeah, yeah. bad or good behaviour yeah. I'm going to mimic that yeah and then you're not exactly like that still, so you're just like, oh, what more do I need to do? It was it was so dangerous and just exhausting as well. And I think I just got tired, and I was like, it's it's like I have to change something, or none like nothing's worth it anymore. It was literally like a breaking point thing, which is it should never get to a point of breaking point where you're like, and oh, now I'm gonna try and love myself. But <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what happened to me, I guess. My big realization was I'm actually more of an introvert than I put on. Mm. So like tailoring my 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 worth and my self care has come from that, right? Yeah. It's like ah, no wonder like I feel used at the end of yes. the day, right? Because yeah. I'm I don't I'm I feel like I'm always on. 
and so understanding that like it's okay to be yeah. introverted and to want to stick your head in books <laughs> yeah and to not entertain people all the time has led me to start taking more greater steps to to practice that self-care mm. I think mine's quite the opposite it's like I have to take the self-care because I'm trying to realize my worth mm. if that makes sense yeah 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 it's, it feels a bit backwards but it's like I've got to, I've got to like wedge myself into this space mm. and I'm still working on it yeah sometimes I sometimes I wonder if it's like a never-ending process as much as I grow and then there are new things that I'm met with I'm just like oh I have to deal with this thing mm. And I wonder if there will ever be a point where I'll be like, just serene. Do you think that you, the work that you do is inspired by this, that need to create or help others recognize the worth within themselves or? Yeah, definitely. Definitely, I think so. I think, I think I spent a long time being like an emotional crutch for people as well. So I was very used to people coming to me with stuff. And then leaving me with that stuff, and then be like, "Hey, bye." <laughs> I forget yeah. about it. I'm just like carrying this baby. Yeah. I'm just like, what, what do I do? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I think through that, I had to find a, a way of listening to people, and then um, handing their baby back to them, but to be like, "You, f- you figure out a solution. Let, or let's figure that out together." But ultimately, this has to be left with you because I can't. I can't do this yeah. in a sense where when you leave this place, I'm not going to be at your house being like, have you done this thing? That's like, right. Ultimately, it's, it's on us to change that. Um, so I think as I learned to do that, it's definitely weaved a lot into my job and my work in terms of like artist development or, or wanting people to realise their artistry or their creativity, I guess. Um, and taking people through that journey, but not necessarily um, carrying the weight of it or or saying you should do this and this and this and this, but it's more about listening to them and be like, what do you want to do? Or like, where are you at right now? And then figuring out what's the best route for them. But me more asking questions for them to come to that solution or, or giving suggestions of different things and different routes and then being able to choose one or two or three, depending on how they feel or what they think is best for them. Um, and almost like giving, giving people permission to like fail or to try stuff. Like I feel like sometimes you need someone to be like, it's okay to try this thing and not like it. Mm. And I'm always, I'm always keen on people figuring out things that they don't like. Um, especially when it comes to like theatre and people seeing shows or like figuring out what kind of work they like or want to make or things like that I'm always a fan of people seeing something crap or something that they think is crap (laughs) and saying that they think is crap Um, I think especially when I I started working in theatre or when I was properly situated in a building in a venue in that first year I saw everything in that venue, every single show possible. Just because I didn't, I wanted to understand what people were talking about. I didn't really know anything. I didn't know what was going on. But at the same time, I didn't feel able to be like, I didn't like that thing. Hmm. I felt like I had to be grateful for all the things that I was seeing. Um, until someone gave me permission almost to be like, <laughs> You didn't like that thing, did you? Because I was sitting next to you and I know you didn't like it. <laughs> and being like, oh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how I felt about it. And I was just like, yeah, cool. Yeah, tell me, okay. tell yeah. me about that. And just being like, what? I can say that? Mm. Like, I'll work for a bit and I can say that I didn't like a show. Um, so I'm always a fan of people just like doing stuff that they don't, or figuring out the things that they don't like to just like eliminate, eliminate, or at least work out. I liked a bit of that, but this is what I'll do differently, or this is what I'll do better. Um, and it's always the best, like, taking young people to see stuff, because they just, they just don't give a shit about etiquette. <laughs> like, they'll just say whatever they think, especially when they've been kind of brewing in a building for so long, and they've been a part of that space for so long that you take them to see something, and they're just like, I have no idea what that was about. And I'm like, cool. You're like me, <laughs> I didn't either. It was just a thing. Um... Because and it's because they've had that time to brew in that space and be comfortable and to 
have permission to speak their mind and say what they feel, that they were able to then do that, as opposed to their first theatre show or whatever, where you still feel like you have to be like, oh, that was cool, if someone asked you how you felt about it. Yeah, I think also being in these spaces can be kind of intimidating. Definitely, 100%. It took me two or three times at Sadler's Wells before, I, I mean, it was just my favourite place in London. Yeah. But it took me two or three times before I was like, I belong in this space. Yeah. And I'm allowed to form an opinion about something about which I know absolutely nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know anything about dance. Yeah. But I know that I don't like um, some, and I yeah. prefer others. Yeah. Definitely. I think there's a lot, there's a lot that theatre as an industry has to do in terms of just making these spaces. I always say like, physically and emotionally accessible to people. Yeah. Like, you walk into these buildings and you're just like, whoa, okay. And then you just see a bunch of people that don't look like you anyway. And you're just like, whoa, okay. Yes. <laughs> like, this, okay, maybe this isn't a space for me, but I'm here now, so I'm going to see this thing. But you already feel pressures of having to, whether you're having to identify with other people or conform to what they think, or you hear them say, I really enjoyed that. And you're just like, yeah, yeah, same. That's yeah. right. But really, you didn't but that's fine as well and that's valid and even what you're saying in terms of like you don't know anything about dance and I think like you do because you see it you've seen stuff you know about dance mm. you know enough to know what you like what you like and what you don't like and why you don't like those things or why you might like those things and so even when and it took me a long time to to get used to that as well when I would go see something and hear people that had seen so many shows or just go to so many shows and be like, oh, I like that thing. I'd always be like, oh, maybe I should... Maybe there's something that I missed because I, I'm not on that level yet. Ah, uh, this comes back to our confidence. Mm. Right. As opposed to being like, no, I definitely didn't like that. <laughs> yeah, which is... Which is okay. Yeah. <laughs> Busy Being Black returns in just a moment. Hello, I'm Tom Kerridge from the BBC Good Food podcast, where each week we chat about seasonal ingredients, smart cooking techniques and easy recipes to make at home that are totally lush. The BBC Good Food podcast is sponsored by Victorinox. Known for the iconic Swiss army knife, Victorinox began as a cutler's workshop in the heart of Switzerland. Crafted from European walnut wood and completely Swiss made, the Swiss Modern Knife Collection has all the key tools to prepare your seasonal meals and is perfect for both professional and amateur chefs. Claim a 20% discount on orders £100 or above on victorinox.com using the code TKPOD20. Terms and conditions from the website apply. Subscribe now to enjoy the BBC Good Food podcast with me, Tom Kerridge, every week on your favourite podcast app. This autumn, as the nights draw in, beat the cold with Now TV. Curl up with the latest blockbusters, including Bohemian Rhapsody and Hotel Mumbai. Plus, with over 40 new movies added each month, from Aquaman to How to Train Your Dragon 3, Now TV's got you covered, wherever you feel like watching. Get cosy with the latest and best movies for just 11 99 a month. Search Now TV today. 18 plus month passes auto-renews unless cancelled. Terms apply. UK Black Pride is Europe's largest celebration for African, Asian, Middle Eastern, Latin American, and Caribbean heritage LGBT people, and our annual festival takes place on Sunday, the 8th of July, in Vauxhall Park. Make sure you save the date. You can find out more at ukblackpride.org.uk and by following at ukblackpride on Twitter. Lots of people who are saying they loved it who are probably feeling exactly like you yes, do. Like, yeah. I didn't care for that. Definitely. I don't know how to, I don't have a language to describe why I didn't care yes, for it. Yeah. I'll tell you what it was Matthew Bourne's Snow White Sleeping Beauty. Oh, I didn't see that, but I heard different things about it. Yeah. I left during the intermission. <laughs> I was just like, mm, mm. you know, I I couldn't see any black people and I was yeah. like, I don't know. And I left <laughs> and then I came back for the Albanelli Dance Company. Mm. Mm. And I was spent my, my mentor and spent most of it crying, and he was like, "Shut up!" 
And the do the pot that they do and the peach, I mean, everything about it is perfection, yeah. right? And it was so emotional. And I was like, ah, oh, this is the kind of dance I like, mm. right? That is like, and then I saw Sarah Barras and I was crying again. I mean, I was just the, because it was the undulating of the singers. And so while I was there in that experience, I was trying to figure out, okay, what is it about this experience mm. that's making me so emotional? And it was like the passion. Mm. And I was able to link that back to the Alvinelli Dance Company. I'm mm. like, ah, so I'm pursuing passion. Mm. That's what I want to see. I want to be moved. Mm. Um, but you have to get into these spaces first. Yes. So talk to me about how you get people into those spaces in the first, in the first place. I, I think there are several things. I think, so I work across um, different art forms. So theatre is kind of my main base. But I also do stuff with poetry and music and things that can cross over but those are like the three main things I think um, and so when I started working with poets and sort of creating poetry nights and spoken word nights um, and was looking at I went to lots of different events to kind of see like what was happening and who was around and what and what kind of things people were doing already um, and I was sort of like okay cool there's a lot of you go to like three nights and you'll see like the one same feature on every single night do the same poem and I'm just like okay I'm pretty sure there's more than 10 poets in, in London right. where are they and why aren't they being booked and, and all of those things um, so that was like one segment of it was just trying to program different artists and then the other part was mainly my friends and trying to convince them to come to poetry nights because I get some people who hear poetry, they're just like, oh my god, all these like dead white men that I studied at school. <laughs> and maybe Benjamin Zephaniah if you were lucky. Um, and it's just like such a there's a lot of there's a lot of stigma, I guess, with poetry. Um, being like a page thing and being all about literature and literacy as opposed to other things and then spoken word feels separate from that um, which is in the UK it was very much um, Americanized, and everyone was kind of going to like the American poets mm. to, in terms of their cadence and their flow and the way that they were performing and the things that they were talking about and there wasn't really a UK voice at the time or people just being like actually this is the thing that I want to write about but it doesn't feel significant or lots of these different kind of battles I think with lots of other genres, a lot of people just look to the US for what is the thing that we should do? Yes. And then how do we replicate that? And then over time, how do we begin to deconstruct that and keep the things that we like, but also put our own voice into it or put our own spin on it? And so UK poetry or London poetry was very Americanized, um, and a lot of people sounded the same. And I was like, what is this thing that everyone's doing? Um, which I got because my introduction to poetry was still was American slam poetry it was mm. videos on YouTube and the dead white men that I had to read at school but I was less interested <laughs> about that um, and so when I was curating these nights or taking over these spaces um, I would say to my friends just, just come like it's my first event just come and support me and they're great, so they'd be like, fine. But they wouldn't be happy about it. It's <laughs> like, oh, I'll come, whatever, fine. It's in East London, it's easy to get to. They came because they knew I was going to be there. But I think them walking into that space and seeing what that space was, that was already like, oh, okay, I didn't think this is going to be what I thought it was. Because, so the night that I run is Jaw Dance. It's called Jaw Dance, and it happens every um, third Wednesday of the month uh, in East London. And... Um, it's pretty much like a mini club night with poetry. So it's it's always packed and there's like a DJ playing music and stuff like that and the poets are amazing. But the atmosphere, as soon as you walk in, is the thing that lifts you. Mm. It's the thing that grabs you. Just like, oh, okay, this is going to be different. It's not kind of everyone just walking in really quietly and we're going to like sit down and click our fingers like when someone says something really nice but you're given permission to like move in that space and be loud in that space as well which makes it yeah it makes it a bit more open mm. so I think for, for them that wouldn't really go to those kind of events walking in and immediately feeling that in that space was like okay I feel a little bit more relaxed what do you think creates that energy I think it's a mix of the people in the space the for lack of a better word the vibe or like the kind of vibe that you want to create like I was I was very much sort of like, how do I want people to feel as soon as they open the doors? Regardless of what they see, 
or even the things that they see or the things that they feel and a lot of it is like the base of a song that's playing or you you hear a song that you recognize um or you just see people moving around and chatting to each other or finding their seats or buying drinks and it just feels easy and it feels like you're able to to move mm. and you're given permission to do that you're given permission to sit at the back if you want or come a bit closer or sit on a bench or or all of these things and everyone's there for a different reason some people are there because they know the poets in the lineup some people are there because it's an event at rich mix that's free and they're like nothing to do on my wednesday let's just go to this <laughs> random thing some people are there to sign up on the open mic some people are there because they're frequent goers of the event like everyone's there for so many different reasons that they kind of add that energy into the space as well. If it's sort of like, this this Wednesday is my new Friday and I'm gonna turn up because I know there's gonna be a DJ, those people come into that space with that energy. Yeah. Or some people could be like, I really wanna perform in the open mic tonight, so they'll come into that space with that energy and it's it's just like a really beautiful space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that, like my friends, um, particularly one friend that um, I invited, he comes to every single event now and I don't really need to tell him to come I'll just on the day I'll be like oh you come tonight and he'll be like yeah of course mm. and just like oh my god because he's coming because you, you want to come and that's amazing that but you just needed that introduction I guess from someone that you trusted and that you needed to feel safe in that space once you got there to independently make the choice to come back or to independently feel like there we go that's how we get people into yeah cultural institutions and right? I feel like because I think yeah. I see it all connected these spaces that you create right which are introducing people to types and forms mm. and performances of poetry that they haven't expected yes that kind of reaffirms that the poetry they heard in their head before yes isn't the only poetry there is. Yeah. So therefore, definitely. maybe I should tr- maybe I should try and check out that new black dancer at Sadler's Wells or that new black artist at Tate. Yeah. 100%. Like, it's, this all, it's all connected. 100%. And I think theatre still has a while to go with that because I think when theatre does it, that it's not... It, sometimes it is, but often it's not continuous. It's kind of like a one-off thing. Um, it's kind of like a... Yeah, we want to get all these people for this one thing, so we're going to make it spectacular on this one night. Um, and then it's going to just go back to being the same for everything else. And we'll send them emails about what we're doing and hopefully they'll come back. Um, and there's not really a follow-up of that. Um, and you, it's a shame because you lose people. And so you're talking about the programming at theatres? So the, the types of um, shows and plays that are commissioned? and mm, Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, think, I think it is programming and I think it's also... Just how, how you make people, how special you make people feel as well when they come, especially if you know that they're coming there for the first time. And so the project that I'm doing at the moment with getting, trying to get more black young people to see theatre, we did it um, last year with a show called Barbershop Chronicles, which is in the same space as what people are seeing now. And... That was a very easy sell because it's a brilliant show anyway. Inua Ellens is an incredible writer. But it is 12 black men on stage talking about barbershops. Like, it's such a universal thing for some people. Um, regardless of how you relate to that, you're, you're aware of that. It's something that you're instantly like, oh, I know what that thing looks like. Yes. Regardless of whether you liked it or not. Like, I sat in barbershops a lot and I didn't need to be in that space. I was just there because <laughs> I worked with my dad. Um... <laughs> But immediately, like, even when they're talking about things, like, you relate to them because you see them. Um, and so I knew that there were people that would love this show or at least recognise the show because of that. And I wanted them to be there in the space. And so it was about going to, I guess, the people that they trusted, so the people that were holding those groups, to be like, look, there's the show. Do you want to bring your young people with you to come to the space? Um these are the things that like I can meet you when you get there. Um, I, try, I try to get them to meet Inua or to meet some of the cast as well, just to get a feel of the space. I made sure that they were in good seats, which is such a major thing because you always get the crap seats that are at the back <laughs> and they can't see anything or whatever. So I made sure that they were like at the seats that were on the stage, they were getting their hair cut, they were doing all of that stuff because um, it just adds to that experience. Yeah, wow. Of like. 
oh, this is, an, this is a thing and this is great. And I don't just feel like I've been like sidelined in where it's like, oh, we've got a few tickets. Do you want to bring people next yeah, week? Yeah. So these black kids in the corner. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they just like dominated the whole like front row, which was just so beautiful and were just reacting to everything and all of this stuff. And so some of the guys that saw that are now seeing this other show as well because I wanted them to come back into the same space. So they feel a little bit comfortable. They're seeing something completely new. The space is going to look completely different. They're still at the front, yeah. so they still get that experience. <laughs> um, but it's different. It's a different experience, but it's about getting used to that space and, and trusting that space a bit more. And now that they know that they've seen something that they might have liked or not liked, but they've seen something there, that they were able to recognise it and be like, oh, okay, that place where we saw this. We're going back there. Cool. And it adds a it adds a it adds a possible option for them, yeah. you know, because theaters it's storytelling, right? Yeah. And this is this is this is representation. Yeah. And so I imagine I I can I can I'm imagining myself looking up at this barbershop um, barber chair. Yeah. Thinking oh, I could tell a story here one day. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like I think some of those groups that went to see Barbershop Chronicles that was the first theater show that they've seen. And I was like, imagine if that was the first show I'd ever seen in a theatre that was like, that were playing Afrobeats and Bashman and you've got people cutting their hair on stage and dancing and all of these things and it's like 12 black people and all, like, if that was my first experience of theatre, like, I wonder how different I would have approached the industry Mm. or how different I would have felt to get involved as opposed to seeing huge musicals like Wicked, and I love Wicked, it was the first ever production that I saw, but I didn't necessarily leave thinking, I could do that, because right. it's like, it's huge, and it's huge auditorium, it was in the West End that I'd never been to, because I didn't have a reason to leave South London, it was all white people on stage, mm-hmm. and it was amazing, and it was spectacular and fantastical, in a way that felt unreachable, in a way that was sort of like, that's amazing to watch. Yeah. But I can never do that. I can wow. never be one of those people. And I'm probably never going to come to this building again. And and it's just like a one-off thing. That's profound. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah. And I just, I didn't want people to, I didn't want them to think this was a one-off thing. That you couldn't come back here and see something else. That you couldn't be in this in this stage like the groups that are going today are doing like a mini tour of the set, so they'll be on stage and see outwards where everyone will be sitting. Wow. And I want it to be like if you wanted to ask, like get used to this view, like this is what you're gonna have to be looking at, or all of these things because they just like they just spark little things in someone's mind. And even if it's a thing to be like I'm not doing that, absolutely <laughs> not, <laughs> then that's great. But if it's even if it's a little thing that's like oh okay, this is like a possibility. This is this is something that could happen, and I'm surrounded by a bunch of people that look like me, so I know, you know, it's it might not they, be. They belong here. Yeah. Yeah. It just makes all the more difference, I think. And I think if I had more of that, when I was trying to get into theatre, as someone that I already knew that they were interested in theatre as well, um, I feel like my journey would have been a lot different. It's all coming full circle. Too. <laughs> I love this, you know, this kind of. Stepping into your queer black womanhood. Yes. <laughs> and that part of this, part of stepping into, this is what I'm hearing. Yeah. It's like part of stepping into this um, and, and nurturing yourself and nourishing yourself mm. and this self-care and this value and you're giving it back, right? Yeah. You're like taking your own experience and you're saying, how can I create a pathway to this space? Because you're in it, right? Yes. Yeah. You, you're in that space and you know what's missing yeah. and you're already saying, bringing people in. I'm just like, I'm in awe. <laughs> it's just, it's, this is, it's beautiful. Thank oh. you for doing that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. What is the biggest <laughs> lesson you've learned about yourself? Um, I think, I think the biggest thing I've learned about myself has been um, has been like my process, whether it's my process of um, making work or my process of making friends or making spaces. I think it's always been about what my process is about and it's always been about the people and the vibe or always the two things I start with. I'm just, whenever I think of something, 
or whenever I go somewhere, I'm always like, I just want to see this and I want it to feel like this. And it's less about the thing that's happening. It's less about, I don't know, the art that's on stage or it's less about the, the, the place that we're in. It could be my house. It could be some underground place in East London. Mm. It could be anywhere, but I'm always... The, the people and how you feel in that space are really important to me. I think, I think those are the things that shape our experiences the most, or it's the way that I feel. Anyway, it's the way that I experience the world. Um, and it's helped me, it's really helped me shape like the people that I'm around, the people that I'm connected to, and, and the way that I enjoy being with them in certain spaces and just the way that that just lights everything up for me um and especially in this thing of being used to being clingy and clinging on to things that were probably dead and <laughs> didn't make sense for me to be clinging on to it really helped to notice that myself and start surrounding myself with people that that created a vibe around me that just made me feel good mm-hmm. or made me happy. Um, and again, giving myself permission to be happy and to feel that happiness and be like, oh, I really love you. And, and telling people that as well. Like, I really Toby Kiaramatang is a theater, festivals, and live performance producer for organizations like Apples and Snakes and the Brainchild Festival. You can keep up to date with her work and her musings about the world by following at Bobby Mono on Twitter. That's at B-O-B-I-M-O-N-O. Thank you to our partners, UK Black Pride and Blackout UK, and to you, the listeners. I love hearing from you, so keep getting in touch at busybeingblackpod at gmail.com. And you know, you can even slide into my DMs on Twitter. I'm on at underscore busybeingblack. And remember, your support doesn't cost any money. You can leave a rating and a review and follow me on social media where you can join the conversation using the hashtag busybeingblack. Finally, thank you to Anthony Giles, a queer black Grammy-nominated producer based in New York for these bomb-ass Busy Being Black beats. Ashe. I'm Anushka Astana and this is Today in Focus. We're bringing you general election coverage every day from Hartlepool. I mean, the government talk about left behind towns and left behind places and actually that presupposes they were ever at the same starting point. To Belfast. I'm old enough to remember getting on the bus and them coming on with sniffer dogs to find out if there were bombs under the seats. We're talking to people and not just politicians to really get to the heart of this election. Subscribe now wherever you download your podcasts.